is taken from the letter that St. Paul wrote to the Romans, and I'm using the version in the Message Bible. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That's why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Thank you, Alison. Well, good morning, friends. Lovely to see you. If you're new or visiting, my name's Mark. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's great to be with you. We've been going through a little series um, uh, in the morning services on tough issues. We change that all next week when we come to um, uh, Sam here from uh, Uganda. I'm looking forward to that. I spent, uh, when I was out in Uganda, I spent uh, just over a week with him traveling. Um, he's an amazing guy in, in what they do um, out there. And, um, uh, and then we, of course, have uh, some very special Christmas stuff planned. But this little, tough, this little series we're doing on tough issues today, the title is, Why Does a God of Love Allow Suffering to Happen? And whenever we get to something like this, I always think, why did I put myself down to preach? I should have put Richard or Chris down to preach on this one, shouldn't I? It would have been much easier. But why does a God of love allow suffering to happen? It's, it's an impossible question to answer, but um, it is a question that many people have uh, on their lips. Suffering's never far from your door or my door. Just this last few weeks, we've been watching the tragedy of the Philippines unfold. This weekend, we watched the tragedy of, of uh, what happened in Glasgow unfold. Syria's been rumbling along um, in the background. 
places like the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, uh, the Westgate Shopping Center in Nairobi. There are, there are so many other tragedies around the world that continue in the background and we're so used to the news moving us on from one to the other that we can almost forget that last week there was another one. And so tragedy is there all the time in our lives. I don't know if you remember back just to April and uh, the Boston Marathon and the bombs that went off there. In fact, if you track this year, there's something almost every week somewhere. And of course, now with the way in which news connects us around the world, we're able to understand that. So every month there's a tragedy somewhere. But on top of that, there's suffering that affects everyday lives of so many people. There's illness, abuse, broken relationships, betrayal, sorrow, injuries, disappointment, heartache, crime, death, so many different aspects of life where we are affected uh, by suffering. And the question that's asked is so often the question why. It's a question that's been asked for thousands of years. Um, Job asked it in the Old Testament, the writers of the Psalms asked it, and if you haven't yet asked it in your life, you might do one day. Why? Why? Why is this happening? Why does that happen? Jesus warned us that we would probably all ask the question at some point. In uh, John 16, he says this, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart for I have overcome the world. You will have trials and sorrows, he says. He doesn't hide it from us. He says these things will come upon us. I'd love to give you a very simple answer as to why suffering happens. I can't do that. I don't think there is a simple answer. I don't think we can pretend that there is. That would be foolish. But I also know that we don't understand the ways of God. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 says this, Now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I now know is partial and incomplete. Then I will know everything completely just as God knows me. Paul is saying here that we won't understand everything about suffering. We won't understand why there are so many problems. But one day we will understand. In glory, we will finally understand. We will finally know. Many years ago, before um, Lindsay and I had children, we, um, in the days when you had money and no children, we went on holiday to the south of France. And um, we were doing what I love to do, which is um, uh, we finished work, both finished work on the Friday and uh, packed the car up. And then we drove down to the ferry and had a meal on the ferry. And, and uh, the idea is then, very simple, before we leave the boat, Lindsay's normally asleep. And I drive fast down through France. And by the time she wakes up, we're nearly there. That's the way it works. That's how I like to do it. And um, uh, so we did this. And we got on the ferry and had our meal and got into France and started driving. And it was thick fog. Absolutely, it was just like a blanket of fog. You could hardly see in front of you. 
And it's like when you can't really see the white lines in the middle of the road and you're driving, and you're thinking I'm driving on the wrong side of the road in a country I don't know, on roads I don't know, this doesn't feel very safe. And uh, finally I, I got behind a very large vehicle. Uh, it was a lorry or a bus or something, which obviously was a bit higher than our little car and had much better fog lights than ours. And it was going at a, sp a steady speed. And I knew that if I stayed behind it, I would be safe. I knew that if I followed him or her, whoever was driving it, I would be going somewhere outside of this terrible fog. We actually didn't get very far because they stopped. And so we stopped as well. And we stopped in what I thought was a lay-by. And um, I just wound the seat back and shut my eyes and went to sleep. We woke up somewhere around four in the morning, freezing cold, and realized that I'd parked in the middle of a field. I'm not quite sure how I got there the night before, but I was completely in the middle of the field. But this was the thing, that if I stayed behind the big truck, I knew that I, maybe it was a tractor. I don't know, I never thought about that. <laughs> maybe it was a tractor, I hadn't thought about that one. Anyway, I was glad to get out of the field before the farmer saw us. But he had better fog lights than me. Um, and I use that illustration because the same is true for us when we start thinking about suffering and difficulty in our lives. We may not be able to understand the details of the why because they're obscured from our view. But there are some helpful fog lights in the Bible that will guide us on our way. And I just want to give you five fog lights this morning. And the first is this, God is not the creator of evil and suffering. In Genesis 1, it says this, God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Hold on, I hear you ask, if God's not the author of tragedy and difficulty and evil, then where did it come from? I think it comes from free will. God created, God created mankind in his image, which means we have the ability to love one another. To be able to love, you have to have free will. Because if you're going to love, we have to decide whether we want to love or not. I don't know if any of your... Any of you have little girls, but um, I know it's probably seemed deemed to be sexist these days, but our girls had dolls and our boys had cars. And um, uh, one of our little girls, when she was young, she had a doll and you could pull this little cord on it and it would say, I love you. And uh, she'd be able to pull it and it would tell her I loved her and she would hug the doll. I think the doll's on the tip now, but that, in those days she thought the doll was rather special. The doll, though, had no choice. When it said, I love you, it did so out of a pre-programmed little chip inside it. To actually love someone, you have to have free choice to say that you love them or not. Love always involves choice. So for us to be able to experience love, God gave us free will. But unfortunately, as human beings... We've abused our free will and rejected God, which has resulted in the introduction, I think, of two types of evil. 
First, there's moral evil. That's immorality, pain, suffering, and tragedy that comes about because we choose to be officious, arrogant, uncaring, abusive in our lives. But Paul says it earlier on in Romans. He says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's so much suffering in our world that is a result of our wrong action or inaction. So if you look at the famines and crises there are around the world, then we have a choice as to whether we respond or not. The world produces enough food for everybody to have enough. Our choice is whether we share that or not. So if you take your hand, you can uh, use it to openly help someone or feed somebody, or you can clench it and hurt somebody. Life is a choice. Every day is full of choices. And that uh, little video of Nick that I showed a couple of weeks ago, uh, if you remember in that little interview, if you weren't here, get the books, brilliant book. But he, he talked about choosing, choosing to live life for his heavenly father, choosing the right thing. So there's choice. We can choose to be selfish or we can choose to be generous. The second type of evil is natural evil. These are things like earthquakes and hurricanes that cause great suffering. And a lot of that, not all of it, but a lot of it comes from the way in which we abuse our planet. I mean, the planet is, is, is in itself is... Is uh, there are natural disasters that we can do nothing about. And the fertile land, the most fertile land, are often in the most dangerous places. And so human beings, of course, have gone to those dangerous places because that's where the fertile land is. But actually, in our reading today, it says this, for we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. For we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of, the glor of glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too with eager hope, wait with eager hope for the day when we, with, the day when, for the day when we, will, we will have our full rights restored as his adopted children. So it tells us that creation was subject, in a sense, to a curse, to God's curse. There is death and decay because of our rejection of God. So God didn't create evil and suffering, but he did create the potential for it because he created free will, which gave us the potential for good and for love. It's two sides of a coin. You might say, well, couldn't God have foreseen this and stopped it? Well, yes, absolutely, that's true. But let me use another analogy. I don't know how many of you are parents. There are many parents here. When you have a child, you have a child, you have hope for that child. You know that there is the real possibility that having a child might bring suffering, disappointment, heartache, and pain into their lives. But we still have a child you know that they may hurt you terribly. They may walk away from you. But we still have children because we know there is the tremendous possibility of deep joy and love and great meaning in life. We wouldn't stop having children because we think they might suffer because we know the other side of the coin is 
they might find life in all its fullness and enjoy it for what it is. Perhaps God likewise could see that there was potential for great bad, but there was also potential for great good. But he didn't just leave us in that place, he sent his son, but I'll come to that in a minute. So the first, that's the first fog light. God did not create pain and suffering. The second fog light that I can shine on this is that though pain and suffering, suffering and tragedy are not good, God can use it for good. Our reading also brings that out. It says this, for we know uh, uh, what causes everything to work together for the good, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Notice that the verse doesn't promise that we'll understand everything immediately. It doesn't promise that everything in this life will change from better, uh, for the better from bad circumstances. We only see dimly and understand in a murky way. But God can take our bad circumstances that come our way and cause us good, cause good to come from them if we're committed to following him. There are so many stories in the Bible that illustrate that. The story of Joseph is a great one of a, uh, a someone who'd done no wrong, who was then uh, in the Old Testament was sold into slavery by his brothers. His brothers had tried to kill him, ended up selling him into slavery. Everything went wrong for him. He ended up in jail, ends up with his life on the line. Uh, and finally, because of a change of circumstance, ends up leading Egypt. And when he meets his brothers again, he says, you intended to harm me, but God has used these purposes for good and for the saving of many lives. So God can take our difficulties and our suffering and from them bring good. The third fog light I'd like to switch on is that one day, the day is coming when suffering will end. People ask, if I say that, people might ask, well, why doesn't it end today? Why can't God end it today? Well, he could. Um, We believe that uh, he will at some point and today is not the end of the story as far as we know. But the Bible promises that one day, the day will come when God will unite again, all his people back with him. He wants to embrace us all in his love and faith, but he doesn't do it yet. It says this in 2 Peter 3 verse nine. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for our sake because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God so loves the world, he so loves all of us, that he wants us to respond to him. He doesn't want to bring an end to it until as many as possible, perhaps, can respond to him. The fourth fog light that we can turn on is that we have to have a longer-term perspective. We live in a world today where everything is about the today. How I feel today is what really affects me. It's not about tomorrow. We don't necessarily embrace the long-term perspective in things. The beginning of our reading says this. It says, yes, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. That, I, I don't want to minimize anybody's pain or suffering or difficulty. Far, by, far be it from me to do that. I, 
I'm somebody who would rather walk with people through pain and suffering. I hate seeing people in pain and suffering. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible, really, because my, my Lindsay will describe me. She'll say, you're a rescuer, because I just want to rescue everybody. And of course, that ends up, you just end up exhausted because you're trying to take everybody's problems on yourself. Because I don't like to see anybody in pain and suffering. But Paul says, Paul says, have a long-term perspective on this. Paul was the one who was whipped 39 times. He was beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked. He got stoned. That was with rocks, not in the good way. He says in 2 Corinthians this, he says in 2 Corinthians this, he says... For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vast outweighs them and will last forever. Whatever trouble we have now, in the light of glory, it will seem a small thing. So we don't look at our current troubles, but rather fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen, the things that we can see now will soon be gone, but the things we can't see will last forever. When you're with the Lord in glory, we'll look back and say, there have been some bad times, but overall it was good. About five or six years ago, Lindsay and I had been to New Wine. Um, it was in the years when we went for two and a half weeks, and we camped for two and a half weeks in our tent, and um, it had been one of those summers in England where it had rained a lot. And so we'd had two and a half weeks working. We get to new wine, we tend to work about six in the morning till about 11 at night, working every day. We go on holiday, we go from new wine on holiday with our tent, wet. You know that sort of situation? And you put it up, wet, in the rain. And we're in this campsite and I'm lying there in bed the first night thinking, why are we here? I mean, why are we doing this? And I expressed that in different ways to my wife, which didn't go down a great uh, way. But I, it, it, it tipped with rain all the next day. It tipped with rain all the next night. When we woke on the second morning, I was just like, let's just pack the tent up and go home. We're not, we cannot possibly stay here. You know, we'll do new one, but we're not going to just like come and camp here for two weeks in a rainy field. This is nonsense. Anyway, I, I was so grumpy that we, we all got up and went out for breakfast. Because we thought, we're not eating in a wet tent. I mean, inside was dripping, you know. And we sat in this little cafe that was steamy with all these wet bodies in it who'd come from campsites, you know, and all the way you can't see out the window. You're sitting by the harbour, you can't even see the boats. I mean, the windows are all steamed up. And um, uh, we're there, and while we're there, just a little patch of blue sky appeared. Just a little patch. And Lynn said, there you go. There you go, it's going to be a good week. And I'm like, you're off your rocker, love. You know, it is not. Well, for the next uh, 12 days, the sun did not go in. We had 12 glorious hot days. You know, when I look back on that holiday, this is what I look back on. It was a hot, sunny holiday. It was absolutely fantastic. That's what I look back on. You know, we will have troubles in this life, but in the light of glory, when you've been there for a hundred years, you will look back and say, well, there were some issues back then, but after a hundred years of absolute glory of my heavenly Father, they pale into insignificance. And my fifth and final fog light 
is this, that we can either allow suffering, difficulty and tragedy to turn us bitter or to make us better. We've all perhaps seen examples of how the same suffering can turn one person to anger and bitterness in their life and another person to goodness and glory. What's the difference? I believe it is the hope that we have in Christ. In verse 26 of our reading, it says this, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. In other words, if you turn to God in difficulty and suffering, you will be helped. He will come and meet with you. I think the Bible promises us two big things. One, he says, if you're hurting in life, I will give you peace. I will give peace into your heart. When the disciples are completely bemused, they don't know which way to turn, everything's going wrong, he says, my, my peace I give with you. My peace I leave with you. The second thing he promises is he promises courage. Courage for the difficulty and suffering that you're going through. Courage to lift up our chins, pick ourselves up, and continue to move on. You know, God's ultimate answer to suffering isn't an, exp- an explanation, it's an incarnation. Suffering is a personal problem and demands a personal response. And God isn't some distant, detached deity, but he enters our world and our experiences and goes through pain and suffering himself because he was broken and despised and rejected for us that we might know his peace, his presence, his courage, his person within us. Has someone betrayed you? He was betrayed. Has someone rejected you? He was rejected. Has someone abused you? He was abused. Has someone turned from you? He was turned as well. But he died that we might know his hope and his help in our everyday. Why does God allow pain and suffering? There's no simple answer. But I think if we get behind the tractor that is the Bible, with its bigger fog lights on, we're going in the right direction. And we'll know the safety that God provides in that for the direction of our lives. Let's stand together, shall we?